Christmas is a season where we are inundated with messaging. It's in our lyrics. It's when you walk into Walmart and Kroger of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And then we walk out into the real world. And it seems like there's not a lot of peace on earth. Doesn't seem to be very much goodwill. On a macro level, we see that in the news. We see that the war with Russia and Ukraine is still going on and what is going on in Gaza and Israel is just heartbreaking as we look at that. But you know, even on a micro level, we feel that, don't we? And maybe in your family or extended family, maybe where you work or go to school, it just seems like there's not a lot of peace on earth. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of goodwill toward men. And at Christmas season, it seems like some of that stuff gets exasperated even more. So what is it that is behind that? What is it that is behind the fighting and the conflicts and the dysfunction that we sense during this season, but that we sense all the time? Like, what do we do with that? Well, we're going to turn to our Bibles today in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, part of the Christmas story, part of the account of Christmas that I promise you will be instructive. At first, you might be wondering, where in the world are you going with this? And how does this tie into conflict and fighting and the root behind it? And what does this have to do with Jamie Lee Curtis? Hopefully, we'll find out. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. King Herod, remember that name. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they were asking this question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Can you imagine? They come into town, everybody knows they're there, and they're like, where is he? Where is who? The newborn king of the Jews, where is he? This is, we've traveled so far, we three kings of Orient are. Where is he, Right? Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, it's important to note that these were not we three kings of Oriental. I literally, as a kid, I don't know why, because of this song, and, and even the placement, now I realize as an adult, like the song does not even give this idea at all, but because of we being in the song, I thought that these were like three midget kings. I don't even know what, like in my mind, I don't, it probably was into my 20s that I finally realized that they weren't midget kings, but... You know, the, the scripture never says that these were even three kings, right? These are what his, historians believe is that these were essentially kingmakers from the Eastern Parthian Empire, and they were searching for a king. They were looking for a king. There's probably hundreds of soldiers in this caravan. So picture hundreds of people rolling into the streets of Jerusalem asking this question. King Herod catches wind of the concern and the question that's going on. And what is Herod's reaction? Look at verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed. Maybe your translation uses the word troubled or stirred, or shaken to the core. One translation uses the word terrified. Why in the world is King Herod terrified that there's a bunch of kingmakers from an eastern empire rolling in, wondering where a newborn king is? Because he's the king, right? He's jealous, he's threatened. And so, what is his reaction? Well, if you, if you keep reading, I'll, I'll tell you basically what happens is that Herod comes out and he says, hey, you guys are looking for a king? That is awesome. When you finally find him, can you like text me? Can you come back? Can you let me know like his GPS coordinates? Can you give me the address? I would love to know where he lives. 
I just want to worship him too. I'm a lover, not a hater. Well, the thing is, they, uh, they do find this king. They're warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod. They find an alternative route to go home. And when Herod finally does catch on to the fact that they are not coming back to give the location, skip to verse 16. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't think of that in the Christmas story. We don't think of political ambition resulting in bloodshed that is unimaginable. I just, this is a side note, we didn't even do this in the first service, but maybe you're in this room and this Christmas season, there's things going on in your life and you're like, what in the world is going on? This doesn't make sense. This is, this isn't Christmas. God, why would you even allow this? You know, we don't know why God allowed this. We know that there was prophecy that spoke to this. There aren't easy answers for this, but it's part of the story. The Bible includes it in the details. What we do know is that Herod was a man used to maintaining his position and his power at all costs. We do know that he was insanely jealous and not just because of the account that we're reading in the Gospel of Matthew, but because of secular history itself speaks to the jealousies of Herod. Herod had his brother-in-law drowned. He had his wife and mother-in-law killed. He had three of his sons murdered. Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of the Roman Empire, once commented that it would be safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Herod knew that the Jewish people hated him so much because of the injustices, because of the atrocities that he had committed as king over their region. He knew the Jewish people hated him so much that he really did worry. I mean, this was an all-consuming worry of his that when he died, that instead of grieving and mourning his death, that there would be parties in the street. And so, and this is a big deal in Eastern culture. Even to this day, a month ago, we had a missionary here, Mark Doreen, uh, for our one-night evening. And, and he's a missionary to Buddhist individuals. He's uh, lived much of his life in Thailand and he talked about recently the Thai king died and for a year for an entire year the command was that you were to wear black and that there was to be no public gatherings no celebrations the church in Thailand couldn't meet together as a church they had to kind of figure out some other ways of meeting in smaller groups because I mean that was that was recent history that's like today so can you imagine 2,000 years ago like kings were very concerned hey when I die I don't want there to be celebrations I want there to be grieving. And so he literally ordered, uh, historians tell us that Herod on his deathbed ordered that at his death, that all the prominent people of Jerusalem be slaughtered so that at his death, there would be weeping and wailing in the streets of Jerusalem. I mean, this guy, this guy there's, there's no way to describe him. So it's right about this time that you're sitting there and you're going, what in the world does this have to do with us? And what does it have to do with Jamie Lee Curtis? What does this have to do with us? I would submit to you that jealousy is often the driving force behind our relationship struggles. I wanna say that again. Jealousy is often the driving force behind our relationship struggles. For most of us, nothing brings dysfunction out of a family like a good old Christmas gathering after a few drinks, right? 
In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he said this, and and this isn't just his opinion, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen this warning, to give this instruction to followers of Jesus. He says this in James chapter four, he first starts, he asks a question, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Maybe you find yourself in a situation at home, at work, at school, group of friends, and it just seems like, man, lately there's been a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. seems like we're constantly fighting. James would say, what is causing that? What is underneath that? If you drill down and you look at the root system of what's going on there, like, why, why is that going on? He answers it. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Now, I'm offended by that, Right? Who is James writing to? Maybe you you don't know the answer to that question. He's specifically writing, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of James chapter one, he's not writing to heathens. He's not writing to pagans or atheists. He's actually writing, the audience of this letter is followers of Jesus. So James is writing to people who profess to be believers in Christ, to be followers of Jesus. And he says, listen, the reason why there's quarrels and fights going on is because there are still evil desires at war within you. You say, but I'm saved. James Cazero, he says, uh, he says, just because Jesus is in your heart doesn't mean that grandpa isn't still in your bones. You say, what does that mean? It means I asked Jesus to come into my heart. It doesn't mean that I'm entirely sanctified I still have room to grow. I still have issues from from childhood, from family of origin, from experiences, from all this stuff. There's still issues that I have to deal with, right? How many of you know that's true? How many of you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not perfect? Okay, the rest of you are lying, which just (laughs) makes the the point, right? He says, don't, don't, the cause of this quarreling, fighting, comes from the evil desires that were within you. He says, you want what you don't have, So you scheme and you kill to get it. And that's the part where we go, okay, now James, you've gone too far. Yeah, my name is Ken and I've been jealous. I've never killed anybody. Aren't you glad to hear that your pastor has never killed anybody? He says, no, 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 you scheme and you kill to get it. No, I've never killed anybody. And it harkens back to the words of Jesus. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, where Jesus says, you say I've never murdered anybody, but, but with your words, You've murdered people's reputations. This is don't, it's the evil desires of war within you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. And then he says this, just to make it so clear in case we're going, what are you talking about? He says, you are, what's the word there? Let's all say it together. You are, jealous. he says, you are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. What is James saying? James is saying, underneath all the fighting, all the quarreling, underneath all the conflict and the dysfunction, often, not 100% of the time, but often what you will find is a root of jealousy and comparison. The jealousy and comparison leads to the fighting and the quarreling and the dysfunction that often we experience. In fact, according to James, the common denominator in all of my relational conflicts is me. It's you. When you hear two kids arguing, you instinctively realize that the real issue is not the toy, it's not the game controller, it's not who's gonna sit in which seat. The real issue is that there are two people who each want what they want and one of them is not gonna get it, right? 
So four verses before what we just read, James says something I think is really instructive. And by the way, there were no chapter, when, when James writes his original letter, he didn't use chapter numbers or verse numbers. That's a modern invention, a little less than 500 years ago. But in James chapter three, verses 15, he gives us some, some other points regarding jealousy. He says, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom, to which we say, no duh. Right, I could have told, I don't, some of you are like, I don't even go to church that much, and I can tell you that. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. We get that. He says, such things, jealousy and selfishness, such things are earthly, unspiritual, and then he uses a word I wouldn't expect him to use, and demonic. Like any jealousy, any selfishness inside of me, it's not just something to be tolerated. It's not just something, well, you know, that's who I am. Oh, that's how we all are. We all have a little jealousy inside of us. James says, hey, you better realize that that jealousy inside of you, it is earthly, it is unspiritual. And just in case you don't get how important this is, it is demonic. That when I allow jealousy to foster inside of me, when I allow it to grow, I am actually partnering with the kingdom of the evil one. He says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Disorder and dysfunction are often rooted in jealousy and selfishness. And we see that the fruit is gossiping, fighting, so this Christmas season, I want to ask you a question. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Who are you jealous of? Who, who, who are you jealous of? You say, Can I, I'm a good Christian. I'm not jealous of anybody. Okay. Who really ticks you off? Who drives you crazy? Who just irritates the crap out of you? Like, who ticks you off right now? Don't point to the person next to you. That's, that's not kind. See, here's what James would say. James would say, if you dig beneath the resentments, you will often find jealousy. Not, not 100% of the time. You will often find, when you dig beneath all of it, there's some jealousy. See, jealousy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives, and it is ignoring God's goodness in my own life. So how do we get rid of it? I mean, some of you are going, okay, Ken, you got me. Like, this is something I want to get rid of. So I, I don't want to be a jealous person. I don't want to be a person who is constantly comparing myself. So what do I do? Here's three thoughts that I want to give you, and then we'll get you out of here. Number one, recognize my own design. Recognize my own design. You say, what do you mean by that? Let, let me just give you an, a, a quick example that, that, that came to my mind. Uh, if, if you were, some of you were here last week and you, you did your homework because you're a good Christian and you do the homework that your pastor tells you to do. Some of you are like, there was homework last week? I think I was at church last week. I don't even remember any homework. What did you even preach about last week? Okay, so the, one of the pieces, one of the homework was to go on a 20-minute walk three times this past week. And uh, there was good temperatures, a lot of rain in between it, so maybe you were able to do that, maybe you weren't able to do it. But let's say, hypothetically, that you were here last week, you heard the sermon, and you decided, I'm going for a walk. You chose one of our great Sandusky County parks, and we got some good parks in Sandusky County. Maybe you're on the bike trail, and you're with your kiddos, you're with your grandkids or nieces and nephews, and you're out for a stroll, and you've left your cell phone at home, and, and, and you're walking through, and you, the sun is shining just right, and you see gleaming in the grass, like out kind of in the weeds, you see something gleaming, something metal, and you're like, what in the world's over there? And you reach over there, and you find an iPhone. 
laying there. And you pick it up and you go, kids, gather around. This is going to be an instructive moment. Kids, gather around. I want you to, I want you to see something. See, see this over hundreds of millions of years, possibly billions of years, in evolution. This was created. This, this, this came out of hundreds and millions and billions of years of, of evolution. This, this, this was, and isn't this incredible, kids? And your kids or your nieces and your nephews or your grandkids would look at you and say, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? There's no way. And yet, here's the interesting thing. Aren't you and the person sitting next to you and the person sitting in front of you or behind you, aren't you so much more intricately detailed than this piece of electronics? Ask any biologist and they'll tell you how intricately detailed you are. Here, here's, here's what I want you to understand is that you are an incredible designed individual. And, one, and, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, the oxygen inside of jealousy is sucked out when I begin to recognize my own design. I love, if you've been following in our, we have a cohort that's kind of been going through the Bible in one year this year, and earlier in the week we were in Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite chapters. If, if you want to nerd out on a chapter in the Bible, Psalm 139 is a good one. I want to read to you just two verses. Psalm 139, uh, verse 13 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Speaking to God, he says uh, in verse 15, he says, you, God, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. So, so I, was, I was thinking about this, and, and the question I would ask you is, what do you like about yourself? When I was in uh, high school, we had a, a church youth pastor who had this ingenious way of including people into our youth group uh, any visitor that would come into our youth group, he would have them stand in front of all of their peers. I don't recommend you do this, by the way. He would ha think of it, it's a group of high schoolers. He would have them stand in front of their peers and he would have them introduce themselves. So that's already awkward enough, right? So you, you got to introduce, can you imagine all the first time guests in here? We're going to stand your feet in a moment. He said, I want you to introduce yourself. Who are you? And then if that's not bad enough, I want you to tell the group one thing that you like about yourself. If you've been around high schoolers, middle school students, that's like, are you kidding me? I would rather die right now, right? I mean, even the most confident looking students in this moment just start staring a hole into their shoes, right? What, what is one thing? And they would try to say, I, I like my shoes because I'm staring at them right now. No, 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 no. That's not, that's something you wear. This is like a glorified Mr. Rogers moment, right? Like, no, that's something you wear. I, I want you to say something that you like about yourself. Now, his intentions were good, and I'm not going to have you stand up and do this in front of a crowd of people, but I am interested if you could answer the question, what, what do you like about yourself? What is it that you like about, not something that you wear, not your job, what, what do you like about yourself? How are you unique? How are you gifted? What are the things that you're proud of? When I was a Kid, my parents, they're back there somewhere. I see my dad back there. My mom's somewhere back there too. There you are. We, they had an album. Remember albums? I'm like 100 years old. They're, they've come back. I mean, they're everywhere now, right? Uh, they had this album by Bill and Gloria Gaither. And I remember this song, I Am a Promise. 
In this song, uh, I'm going to have my mom come up and sing it for you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I am a promise. I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to read you the lyrics. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I can be anything, anything God wants me to be. Now some, this isn't, I know there's, there's preachers out there that are positive thinking preachers and how to be your best self and all that. I, I, I don't subscribe to that, but I do think that we do as followers of Jesus need to understand our own design. We do need to understand that there is a creator who created us. And we need to be comfortable in our own skin to be able to say, this is what I like about myself. Because here's the thing, it sucks the oxygen out of comparison and jealousy when I'm comfortable enough in my own skin. Number two, rejoice in what I have. Rejoice in what I have. Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse nine says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you, what you don't have, right? enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It is like chasing the wind. So the question is, what has God given you? What has God given you? See, we spend so much of our time looking at what God has given other people. Well, look at the car that my boss is driving or look at, look at what so-and-so is doing or how, I don't know where they were able to buy that from or whatever. Like, no, no, no. What, what has God given you? Oh, God hasn't given me anything. Think, just think about waking up today. Did you wake up in a heated home? Yeah, I don't like where I live. Well, is it heated? That's pretty cool, right? A lot of people in this world that would say, I'd, I'd like some of that. Did you sleep in a bed? Maybe you didn't. That's, you don't have to answer that out loud. I guess that would be awkward. But a lot of you got to sleep in your own bed. A lot of you woke up and, and you were able to go to the bathroom in a toilet that was in your home. And it actually flushes. And then you were able to go to a faucet and turn it on and clean running water came out of that faucet. Many of you have a food preservation system in your home called a refrigerator. And you're able to open that refrigerator and, and there was probably even food inside of it. I mean, it might not have been food on every shelf, but there's probably a little, some food in there. You're probably able to find something in your home that you were able to eat today. Many of you are able to open the door of a closet, actually a room within your room, in your house that is, has clothes and you were able to pick what you wore today. You didn't have to wear the same thing that you wore yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Many of you were able to get into a car some kind of automobile and you were able to, to drive. I mean, that, guys, that makes you incredibly wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip, but I'm just saying in those moments when I see jealousy starting to well up, because I do, and I, it's way too frequent, and I don't like that, but when there's jealousy that starts to try to start growing, I have to rejoice in what I have. God, thank you for what you have given me. Yeah, but it's not as nice. No, 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 no. I'm not allowing myself to go there. Thank you for what you have given me. And I don't know the other people's stories. I don't know what they've gone through. I don't know the amount of debt that they have to have what they have, right? I don't know everything that's going on. I can choose to rejoice in what I have. Not only that, but for those of you in this room who are followers of Jesus, 
I mean, when you became a follower of Jesus, think about what you were given. And maybe that doesn't make, maybe you go follower of Jesus, like what is that all about? I'm talking about that moment that you humbled yourself and you recognized I am broken and helpless and powerless. I am sin stained and sin covered. I need help and it ain't coming from inside of here. I've tried Oprah, I've tried the self-help books and it's, it's not coming from inside of me. Somebody outside of me is gonna have to help me. They're gonna have to save me and rescue me. And somewhere along the way, someone communicated to you a message like this. Maybe you, you watched it on YouTube or maybe you were in a church group or maybe a friend shared this message and the message was that there is this God who so loved you and created you and you're so valuable to him. And he saw how you broke fellowship with him through your sin, through your rebellion and the sin and rebellion of, of all of humanity. And so he sent his son Jesus to become one of us. And Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And at the end of his life, he allowed himself to be crucified, to be executed on a cross where he took the curse of my sin and your sin and the sin of all of humanity upon himself. He took the punishment that we all deserve in God's eyes. He took all of that upon himself. And he died on that cross. And on the third day, he was resurrected from the grave, proving his authority and power once and for all. And that if you will come to him and humble yourself and say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord, that you are risen from the dead. Forgive me of my sins, that he will forgive you of your sins. So think about as a follower of Jesus, what do you have? You have forgiveness. Past, present, future. Man, you can't put a dollar amount on that, right? To have peace with God. You have forgiveness. You are adopted into God's family. Meaning regardless of what kind of family dysfunction you live in, you have a heavenly father who maybe your earthly father wasn't all that great, but you have a perfect heavenly father who knows you and sees you and loves you. You've been adopted into his family and it's a forever family. Not only that, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son takes up residence, residency inside of you and he leads you into all truth and you can listen to him. Now, some of us don't listen to him, but you can choose to listen to him and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me today? Would you, would you show me the truth? Would you show me what direction to go in? And he will begin producing fruit inside of you that you can't produce like love and joy and peace and patience. Like think about it, what has God given you? If you're a follower of Jesus, what has he given you? Listen, we, we, we should live life thrilled with what God has blessed us with. And I'm telling you, when we rejoice in what we have, it sucks the oxygen out of that jealousy. That jealousy cannot grow. Comparison cannot grow when I'm rejoicing in what God has given me, with what he's entrusted to me. Number three, so recognize my own design. Who am I? Who has God created me to be? What giftings has he given me? What talents? Number two, rejoice in what I have. What has God given me? If nothing else, he's given me salvation. Number three, celebrate the blessings of others. Celebrate the blessings of others. I love 1 Corinthians 13, four. A lot of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, right? You go to a wedding and inevitably they'll quote from the love chapter, right? And in this chapter, Paul talks about what love is, what love is not. In just verse four alone, he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not, what's the word there? Love is not what? Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. 
In Romans 12, verse 15, Paul says, when others are happy, what are we supposed to do? Be happy with them. If they are sad, share their sorrow. Can I tell you, one of the disciplines, and it's a discipline, you, you won't feel like doing this. You say, well, what am I supposed to fake it? No, you're supposed to obey the word of God. And sometimes I obey the word of God when I don't feel like it. In fact, a lot of times when I'm obeying the word of God, I don't feel like doing it. But if we only obey God's word when we feel like doing it, there's going to be a whole lot of things we don't end up doing that God wants us to do, right? And so this isn't about faking it. This is about being obedient to the word of God, that when somebody else is blessed, that I go out of my way to celebrate their blessing, to celebrate their victory. Oh, you got a raise? That's awesome. That's so good for you. I don't even ever see you here, but I'm glad you got a raise. I didn't get a raise, but hey, that's awesome. Good for you. Send them a text message, write a card. Man, that's awesome. Way to go. That's going to be a great blessing to your family. I'm so glad you got a raise. Inside, you may not feel it at all. But what are you doing? You're, it's a discipline. You're forcing yourself. Oh, that's such a blessing that you were able to get that car. Oh, that's such a blessing. Oh, you look so good. I love your new hair. That must have cost $10,000 for them to do that to you because I can't imagine. So no, you don't say that part. You just say, you look so good. Right? Man, that's awesome. Go out of your way to celebrate their accomplishments. I'm telling you, the more you do this, the easier that it gets, by the way. At first, it'll feel awkward. At first, it'll be, oh, I'm, I'm being so fake. Man, look at your home. This is so beautiful. How did you, wow, that's, that's so cool. I've never seen that in a living room before. That's so cool. Where'd you get, you got that from Switzerland? That's incredible. I would, wow. How do we get rid of jealousy in comparison? We recognize our own design. We rejoice in what we have. We celebrate the blessings of others. Now, back to Matthew chapter two, you know, we looked at the reaction of Herod. We didn't really get to see the reaction of the Magi because we skipped that part. Look at, look at how the Magi responded to Jesus' birth. This is found in Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse nine. It says, after this interview, the interview that the wise men had with King Herod, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And I just got to pause here because I've, I've had conversations with friends and they're like, you really believe that? You really believe? And, you know, we can nerd out and go to astronomy and will this account, you know, sp supposedly, you know, in China or Asia, they saw this star and we can do all that. And I just say, you know, you don't need to get your panties in a wad over this. Um, I just believe if Jesus is is great enough and powerful enough that he can be risen from the dead, I believe God can send a star and have it hover and do whatever he needs it to do. Sometimes we read, we read these things and we just stop there and we get all into it. And I, and I get that. Some of, you, some of you, God has wired you with a mind for, for science and reason. And I know it's hard, but I'm just telling you, like, I have to constantly go, hey, if God is great enough that he can raise Jesus from the dead, he, he, can, do, he can do other stuff that I don't quite understand. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Verse 11, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know what, you know what I get out, of, uh, get out of that paragraph as I read about these wise men, these magi? First, I see some people that are comfortable in their own skin. They weren't insecure, they weren't jealous. Can you, can you, if that was you, and I mean, these guys had, they had hiked. 
for hundreds of miles to get to and from the from the sacrifices that Mary and Joseph had made when Jesus was 40 days old, we get the idea that they didn't have much money. They're probably not living in the best part of town. Probably, probably kind of poor. And here are these wealthy beyond, you know, you can imagine, and hundreds of people in this entourage. And can you imagine they get to the place and they're like, the king of the Jews lives here? They're so comfortable in their own skin, it's not even, you don't even see that in the story. They're just like, hey, we're comfortable in how God designed us. We recognize our own design. And look, I believe they rejoiced in what they had because what do you see them doing? See how open-handed they are? They're freely giving gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I can just tell you from my experience, the most generous people are people who rejoice in what they have. In fact, usually if you don't rejoice in what you have, usually your posture is one of closed-fistedness of, I, I don't have anything to give. The people will go, look at what God has given me. I've got clean running water. Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. These people are just open-handed, so generous. The Magi were an absolute model of celebrating the blessings of others. After traveling so far, they were so excited to have finally found their king. All these men bow down. And in that culture, bowing down meant all the, their faces are sucking carpet. Their noses are all the way on the ground. They're worshiping him. There was no holding back or restraint. It was just passionate worship. Picture the scene of several hundred men kneeling before this infant named Jesus, giving him glory and honor and praise and adoration. I don't know about you, like I just, that's incredible to think, isn't it? Here, here's what I wanna encourage you with. When we recognize our own design, when we rejoice in what we have and when we learn to celebrate the blessings of others, we give glory to God. God is glorified in that. And in the process Jealousy and selfishness begin to diminish. They cannot grow in that kind of environment. They cannot fester. They can't enlarge in that kind of environment. And my fighting and my quarreling and my conflict begin to diminish. I'm, diminish. I'm not saying you won't have conflict. I'm not saying you won't have fighting because you're only in control of you. You don't get to control everybody else, right? And we live in a world of knuckleheads. And knuckleheads be knuckleheads, right? But I can control me. I can control my attitude. I can make sure there's not selfishness and jealousy inside of me. And in the process, I begin to make a world a little bit better, at least my part of the world, right? And you begin to make your part of the world a little better as well. What if we could do this? What if we could live this? Can you imagine a world? Can you, can you imagine a community where there's a group of people who don't walk around jealous and comparing themselves and selfish? Can you imagine what kind of community could be created? A community where God is honored and where God smiles on his people. So I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting to bow your heads for a moment to close your eyes. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward or have everybody look at you. 
I've got several questions, and my first question would be, maybe earlier when I was talking about becoming a follower of Jesus, maybe for you, you realize, you know what, I don't know that I am following Jesus. I don't know that I, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've read the Bible from time to time, or you've said some prayers, but, but you would say, Ken, I don't know that I have ever actually humbled myself and acknowledged my need to be rescued and to be saved. I don't know that I've ever asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to, for him to lead my life, for him to be the master of my life. My whole life, I've just been calling the shots. I've been religious, I've been spirit, but I've, I don't, I've never given him the reins of my life. And if that's you, again, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'd love to pray with you. So with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you'd say, Ken, would you pray for me? I wanna, be, I wanna begin the journey of following Christ today. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you and for you. Yeah, I see you right there. I see you right there. I see you right there. I see you. Anybody else? All guys so far. I love it. I see you. Anybody else? I see you back there. Yep. I see you right there. You can lower your hand after you've raised it. Anybody else? They would say, yep, I see you right over there. Anybody else? What a time of the year to just say, God, I'm giving my life to you. I've tried living my life for myself and it hasn't worked out so great. I, I recognize I need you. If you raised your hand, in fact, I'm gonna ask everybody in the room to, to pray this prayer with me. It's not praying these words exactly, you know, this formula that, that saves you. It's meaning this in your heart. But I'm gonna ask everybody in this room, would you pray this with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe that he was crucified, risen from the dead, and that he is exalted today. Please forgive me of my sin. I want you to be in charge of my life. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for my friends to just raise their hands. God, I just rejoice in that. I thank you. God, I pray this would be the first, it's the first step in the journey of following after you. God, that they would walk with an awareness that you have forgiven them, that they would walk in, 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 in knowing you and following after you, oh God. In Jesus' name. I want you just to keep your eyes closed for a moment. And I'm not gonna ask a group to raise their hands because this could be deeply personal, but I, I just believe in this room, there's probably some of you that would say, yeah, I've struggled with jealousy. I've, I've struggled, I've struggled with this. I, there's a lot of fighting and conflict and I recognize a lot of it does have to do with my jealousy. And I just wanna pray over you, especially during the season that God would help you. And truth be told, we all from time to time have jealousy that begins to try to, try to raise up in our lives. God, I, I pray that you would help us. And God, I include myself in this prayer Comparison is such a, I heard a friend this week who said that it's like quicksand. So Father, I pray for us that we would not allow ourselves to go down the path of comparison, that we would not allow jealousy a root in our lives. God, that we would recognize that you've designed us and that you've designed us incredibly and, and, and each person in this room is awesome. 
Each person in this room is incredible in the ways that you've gifted them and the talents that you've given them. God, we, we rejoice in what you've given us. You've given us so much stuff. God, may we just walk in appreciation and gratefulness for what you've given us. God, may we just go out of our way to celebrate the blessings of others. Empower us to do that for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before, before you stand up, a couple things. First of all, if you raised your hand to follow Jesus a moment ago, and a number of you did, and I just tell you, this is why we exist as a church. I mean, it's part of why we exist as a church. I guess theologically people would have other reasons, but like we want to see you begin a journey of following after Christ, and we want to help you in following Christ. Pastor Aaron mentioned the connection card earlier. If you would just take that connection card out real quick, and on the bottom, there's a place that says My Next Step. If you check whatever boxes are appropriate, maybe you've committed following Christ, and now you need to go public with it through baptism, and uh, maybe you have questions about that, just check that box on baptism. We'd love to give you details. January 7th, which is our first Sunday of the year. What a great Sunday to get baptized. We're gonna be having baptisms that Sunday and maybe you'd be interested in that. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, but you've never publicly declared what God has done in, inside of you outwardly. Uh, we'd love for you to, to check that. I wanted to give you a report on gift cards. If you're new today, none of this will make sense, but if you've been around for the last few weeks, you've heard us talk about gift cards. We've been collecting $25 gift cards for foster students in several different counties. We told you that it was for four counties. You guys gave so many gift cards, you gave 140 gift cards. And so we were able to give every foster teenager in four counties surrounding us and, or no, five counties, Lisa's over there going, you're not getting this right. Five counties, we said four, we covered five counties and part of a sixth county. And because of our partnership, we're part of a network of churches called the Assemblies of God and a number of churches within the Assemblies of God throughout Ohio, we're doing the same thing. Every foster teenager in the state of Ohio is receiving a Christmas card with two $25 gift cards inside of it because of your generosity, because of what you guys did. That's awesome. And some of you are like, oh, I forgot all about it and I brought it today. Like, is it still gonna, we, we're still gonna use it. And we've got some ideas of how we can bless some other families uh, with those. So if you brought them, you can still put them in the, the connection boxes. And if you didn't get them, you're off the hook. We'll ask you to give something some other day, okay? So uh, you can just, or go bless somebody yourself. That would be awesome as well. And then the last thing I wanna encourage you with is I know this sounds so far away, but the week of January 14th, we're gonna be starting a new semester of life groups. And if you're in the room and you would have an interest in facilitating or hosting a life group, we really are, I know it's Christmas season and all that, but we're trying to get all of that stuff figured out so that come January, because here's the deal. It's great that you came in here this morning and we're sitting in rows of chairs watching a guy spit for 35, let's be honest, 45 minutes. Um, it, it, that, that's great, but what God wants for you is to get you in communities where you get to know people and have people pray for you and over you and, and where you get to know, know others in a way that, that, that amplifies your own relationship with Christ. And so if you're interested in hosting a group, it doesn't have to be a Bible study group. We love the Bible study groups. Maybe it's a prayer group. Maybe it's a walking group. Maybe it's a cooking group. Maybe it's a, this is a deeply spiritual one, playing euchre group. We can, we can coach you in how to bring Christ into that. In all of our groups, we want an element of prayer. We want an element of scripture. But you can do that in all those different ways. And so um, if you're interested on the back of your connection card, would you just write 
you know, hosting or facilitating is a big word. You could just write life groups and I would love to connect with you this week and uh, tell you more. And, and we won't twist your arms. So if you're just interested, but you're like, I don't want to commit, but I am interested. We'd love to just give you some more information about that. Would you stand to your feet? This week, and I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit just nudges you in supernatural ways this week that when those moments of comparison and jealousy start rising to the surface this week, may you recognize your own design. May you rejoice in what you have and may you celebrate the blessings of others. God bless you. Hope we'll see you next week as we talk about our final enemy of Christmas. See you guys later.